Well, hey, everybody, sorry that you have to uh, watch this on a screen, but it is God's word uh, and it is good to gather together uh, to look at it in whatever way we can. So thanks for being patient with me uh, as you watch a screen. I uh, op- invite you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter three. And maybe when you came in, you got a sermon notes page that could be helpful for you as we walk through this as well. Also, welcome to the Nelson home. A number of you have been here, but not everybody has. This is a uh, this is downstairs, and uh, love to have you over sometime, just not right now. So, uh, Philippians chapter 3, it's summer, uh, the end of summer, family vacation season for a lot of people, and you, maybe you remember how family vacations go. One of the most common questions asked in family vacation is, are we there yet? And maybe you had, or or your parents had a standard answer to that question, like, well, if we were there, then I wouldn't still be driving. Or, no, we've only been in the car 10 minutes and we have seven hours to go, so you need to find something to do. In many ways, the followers of Jesus Christ, people who have been rescued from sin and adopted into his family, whose blood, whose, the blood of Jesus has paid their ransom and they now belong to him. That's many of us. And in a sense, we're on like a family journey together. And we know this, we know that our final destination is going to be absolutely glorious, but we also know this, we're not there yet, are we? And the trip, well, it's not always comfortable. So what are we supposed to do while we travel? Last week, Pastor Nick walked us through the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Those are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and I am so thankful for so many things about Pastor Nick, but especially his infectious love for Jesus. And you can see that in the passage, and I think that matched the tone of the passage well, because in it, you might remember what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm looking at everything else, everything that I once thought so valuable, everything that the people around me value, and you know what? Compared to knowing Jesus, that's all garbage. It doesn't matter compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what we long for. We long to know Jesus and to make him known. That's what we're here for. That's what our church's mission statement is and has been for some time. And we know that a day is coming when we will be fully known, that we will know him much more fully than we can now. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their forehead. So we long for that. That's our glorious destination, but we're not there yet. In the meantime, we seek to know Christ more and to make him known. At the end of that passage that Pastor Nick preached, he talks about wanting to know him and the power of his resurrection, that he may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that's where we left off, and we're not there yet. So today we look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and then working our way through just the first verse of chapter 4. If you're able to, I'm already standing here in my living room. If you're able to, there in the sanctuary, would you please stand as we pray and then read God's word. Father, thank you. Uh, This is 
oh, this is this is awkward for me. I'd much rather be looking at the people I'm preaching to, and I this brings back bad memories. I don't want to be looking at a camera. But Father, I'm thankful that there's ways that we can gather, and I'm thankful that Your Holy Spirit's at work in whatever way we go about doing this. So please be at work in me now, preaching to people that I can't see. Uh, but God, you see each of them. You see them way better than I can see them when I'm with them anyway. And so would you, by your Holy Spirit, work in me, work through me, uh, use your word to accomplish your will amongst your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Here it is. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 4, 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. You can be seated. And so, just a couple of points here. The first one, taking us verses 12 through 16 is this. We are his own, but we're not there yet. Press on. We are his own, but we're not there yet. Press on. Let's just look at this. Verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What What's this? He, he says, I haven't already obtained this. Well, what is this? I think this is referring back to what we just saw at the end of Philippians 3, 1 through 11, and that is knowing Christ fully and attaining the resurrection of the dead. Like, we haven't yet been resurrected from the dead physically. That day is coming. We don't yet know Christ fully, but that day is coming. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. But we're looking forward to that day. So what do we do now until we get there? He continues, verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. But I press on to make it my own. That, that phrase, press on, is going to come up again in verse 14. So you see it there at the end of verse 12. Look ahead to verse 14. I press on, he says there. And then if you go back just a little bit in verse 13, he uses this phrase, uh, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So the, the, these, these phrases of pressing on, which we see twice, and straining forward, kind of imply that there's, there's something 
pressing up against us, that as we try to make progress in our walk with Christ, as we try to know Christ more, uh, as we as we make our way to that destination that God has promised to us, there's going to be resistance. Because he doesn't say, like, hit cruise uh, or, or coast along. No, instead, he says, press on and strain forward. If you're, if you're straining, uh, there's something that you're pressing up against. Well, okay, so, so he's encouraging them to press on, to strain forward, uh, because they're not there at the destination yet. Well, what are they pressing on and straining forward for? Look at verse 12. But I press on to make it my own. That's what they're pressing on for. I'm pressing on to make it my own. That is to obtain this joy of fully knowing Christ and attaining the resurrection from the dead. Just press on to make that your own. To to what lies ahead? Look at verse 13. Straining forward at the end of verse 13. Straining forward to what lies ahead. And then verse 14. Toward the goal. So where's all this heading? Look at Toward the goal, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal is eternity with God in his presence. Jesus himself is the prize. He is the reward. That's what Pastor Nick was pointing us to last week. Okay, so if that's what we're heading toward, then how, how, do, how do we get there? Well, He says more about that. He includes this phrase, forgetting what lies behind. You see that there in verse 13? But one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. See, Paul, he lived an ugly, sinful life prior to his conversion. His religious resume looked really, really good, but he was an enemy of the cross of Christ, right? That's that's who he was. He was responsible for horrible things, including the execution of innocent people who just professed faith in Jesus and shared the gospel, right? Paul lived an ugly, sinful life, but he's not dwelling on that because the enemy would love to use kind of our past to shame us into not making progress in our walk with Christ and in the work that he's called us to, but Paul is saying, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to. One thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind. That's what helps him strain forward to what lies ahead. This posture of of pressing on ahead requires a not looking back in shame. And it's a mindset. Look at verse, let's see, where is that? Um, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So, so there's, this, there's this sense of well, the way that we think uh, shows something about our maturity. So let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you think in this, even if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. It's not about digging down deep inside, right? You want to know that? Because look at what it says in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Notice as in past tense, what we have attained. We're not, we're not pressing on and doing all this because we need to somehow get there by our grit and determination. We don't need to dig down deep into our training, right? If you've watched any of the Olympics, one of the kind of repeated themes that you hear from athletes when they get interviewed is that, man, I just believed in myself and I remembered all the work that I did. That's not what Paul is saying to do here. He's not saying believe in yourself and remember all the work that you've done. No, he's saying hold true to what we have attained, what's already been given to us. And what is that? Well, Romans 8.30 says it this way, Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's We're on our way there. We have attained this. We haven't yet obtained all of it. We're not there yet, but we do this all by remembering who we are. I skipped a couple parts that I think are really important in these first verses. Paul presses on because he know he knows whose he is. Take a look at this. Paul presses on because I press on to make it my own. This is way back in verse 12. I skipped this, but it's super important. But I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Oh, there's some gospel good news right there. Paul knows, I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. I am united to him by faith. So for Paul, the journey has been rough. He has been beat nearly to death. He's a prisoner. But he's going to be fine, and he's going to keep pressing on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he has already been made one who is of Jesus. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. When I was a youth pastor, one of the things that we used to do with our students is take them out to some of the granite rock faces out in the Black Hills to learn rock climbing. There was another youth pastor named Dave who had lots of climbing equipment and lots of climbing experience. So he would begin by ascending the rock face, running a rope up through a loop that was screwed somewhere onto the top of the peak. And then he would descend with the other end of that rope securely attached to his harness, uh, which was securely attached, of course, to his body. Well, my role was to help the students get outfitted in their harness so they were ready to learn to make the climb. Once they were ready, they would clip the end of their harness in to the end of that rope. And the other end of that rope, of course, remember, was already attached to uh, Dave's harness. And as they climbed, they would do a lot of hard work. It's hard to pull yourself up by these little handholds and footholds that you find, but they would press on and strain forward and look upward to find the right handholds and footholds. And we had to remind some of the students, those especially who were scared of heights, and this might be some of you too, like, don't look down. Like, you're, you're on your way up, don't look down, because the distance to the ground would maybe freak them out a little bit. So forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to this prize, which in this case was just some little bell that you ring at the peak when you get to the top. Yet all the while, here's the good news. They were doing so attached to Dave, united to him through that rope, so that if they slipped, he would hold them up, and they would get back on that rock, struggling, straining to make their way to the goal, the prize, that bell at the peak. Listen, here's some application for us, church. All of us are on a journey, and all of us are going to face resistance. Life in a fallen and broken world is hard, and here's my concern. 
some of you are trying to do it on your own. Maybe you found some footholds and some handholds and you're pretty confident that you are holding on to them. Maybe for now your grip is holding. Maybe you also feel yourself slipping, not knowing if you have the strength to press on on your own. Can I tell you some bad news? Some bad news is this. If you are not tied into Jesus, you will fall to your destruction. You will not attain the prize. But here's some good news. If you trust in Jesus, if you are united to Jesus by faith, if you are clipped in, yes, you will still stumble and you will still fall. But the good news is, we already sang it today, he will hold you, right? He will hold you. Christ Jesus has done what is required to make you his own. He lived the life you failed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die so that all of us who are united to him by faith will receive surely the prize that is for us, that is eternal life with him Forever. That's the gospel. Do you believe that? Have you gotten to the point where you just gave up finally on trusting in yourself and your hard work and your straining and your pressing on and saying, I can't do it. I need a savior. Are you sure that you'll be forever with him when you die? I'd love to talk to you. Call me, email me, whatever. Text me this week. Let's talk more. Talk to somebody else that you came with. This is an incredibly important question. Many of us we are united to Christ by faith. And the message for us then is this, press on. I know you're weary. I know your grip is weak. I know you've stumbled and I know the way is hard and I know it's not always comfortable, but press on, strain forward. Have the mature mindset that remembers, like Paul, all that Christ has done for us. Remembering that we are, we are surely his. And remembering where we're headed. So forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. That's the gospel good news. Christ Jesus has made us his own. So we hold true to what we have attained and we press on. We're on his own, but we're not there yet. So we press on. Point two is this. We are family and citizens of heaven but we're not there yet, so get set. We're family and citizens of heaven, but we're not there yet, so get set. That's just the rest of this passage. It's going to talk about where we set our eyes, where we set our minds, and where we set our feet. First, where we set our eyes. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's a command to imitate. Paul says, imitate me. He calls them brothers because they're a part of the same family. And Paul's saying, I'm not the only one that you need to be looking at and imitating. There's others in the family too. And we do this, don't we? We imitate people in our family. Some of you kids that are out there today, if you're the oldest kids, do you ever get a little bit annoyed that sometimes your younger siblings imitate you? That can be a bad thing or it can be a really good thing if you're doing good things, right? I remember making the decision of where I went to college and all three of my younger siblings made that same decision at some point as well. We imitate people in our family. A lot of times kids, you might be told, oh, you, you look just like your mom or you did that just like your dad. 
Paul is pointing out that there are some good examples in the family. And he's one of them. And so he says, so imitate them. Keep your eyes on them. Fix your eyes or watch them closely. We need to make, so, so we need to be with our church, right? Find ways to be with the church that you might look at these good examples, setting your eyes on them so you know how to live and how to press on in this world. Now, the next verses, 18 to 21, kind of set things up with a warning and a reminder. This talks about where we set our minds. Okay, so verses 18 to 21, where do we set our minds? Verse 18 and 19 are the warning. It says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. This breaks Paul's heart, right? Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, so there's a number of people Paul is warning them about. There's people there in Philippi. There's people where Paul is in Rome. There's people here in Iowa Falls who are opposed to Jesus. They may even seem like really nice and maybe even really religious people, but Jesus said, anyone who is not with me is against me. Paul tells the church in Philippi that these are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he says a little bit more about them in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Remember, Paul's already rejoiced in the fact that for us, our end, we're not there at our destination, but our destination is the resurrection of the dead and knowing Christ more fully. That's what we're headed for. But others, their end is destruction. Because if you're not united with Jesus by faith, that is the end for you. The end is destruction, eternal destruction, eternal punishment. And then it says this, their God is their belly. <laughs> now, now that doesn't mean like you imagine them like singing worship songs to their belly. <laughs> like that's, that's not really exactly what he's talking about. He just means that their belly or their appetite, what they want is what rules their life. How many people could say, like, that? that's so true of so many people, that what they want is what they go after. That's their God, functionally. And he says they glory in their shame. Their sin is not something that they're battling against. We all sin, but the difference between a Christian and somebody who's not is, is our trajectory. How do we respond to sin? Do we, do we repent of it and turn from it, or do we kind of just exalt in it and enjoy it and celebrate it? And then it says this. In verse 19, with minds set on earthly things. So rather than having their eyes set on good examples, their eyes are and their minds are set on earthly things, like the stuff the world loves, money, stuff, sex, power, pleasure, whatever I can get for myself now is my aim in life. Right? So Paul says, with tears, with a, a broken heart, this should break our heart too, so many around us today and in Philippi and in Rome that are opposed to Jesus. Paul says we're, we're different than that. Here, here's where we're different. Verse 20 is our memory verse for the week. But Paul says to the church in Philippi, that's not us. Who are we? Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our primary, listen, Christian, our primary allegiance is not to any, is not to this earth or not to any one nation on this earth or any material that we can find in this earth. No, our citizenship is in heaven. What governs us is not the stuff that governs everybody else in the world, but we are governed by and citizens of a better kingdom, a heavenly one. The kingdom of which we are presently citizens is presently not as visible 
as earthly nations and material things, but it will be one day because, did you notice the rest of that verse? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of that kingdom. Jesus is the only one who can save. Jesus is the promised Messiah, and Jesus is coming again. That's true. Revelation 19 tells us this, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes again, he will bring justice. And there's good news for those of us who are found in him. Look at verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Anybody feeling your lowly body uh, today? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We who are united to Christ by faith, even though we deserve to be crushed by his power, will be instead transformed by his power so that our weak and lowly broken bodies will be like his glorious body. This is good news. And while many people have their minds set on earthly things, Paul says, church in Philippi, let's be different. Let's set our minds where our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing about that here in a second, but there's one more verse to look at. Verse one of chapter four. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Most of the verse is just Paul reminding them of how much he loves them and how much they're loved by God, right? You're my brothers, he calls them, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He ends with my beloved, but in the middle of all that is a command, and that is a command to stand firm. So, so set your eyes on examples in the body, set your mind not on earthly things, but our citizenship in heaven, and now set your feet firmly in the Lord. As you live in a world filled with enemies of Jesus, who just do whatever feels good to them, as you battle your own temptations to do just like them, bind yourself together with brothers and sisters who are good examples and stand firm in the Lord. So two just final quick questions. Who are you with and where are you looking? Who are you with and where are you looking? If you're a Christian, you have family in Christ. Are you spending time with them? Are you watching them? Uh, it's such a joy to be a part of the body because we got to admit there's a whole bunch of stuff we just don't know. We don't have a clue. But thanks be to God that he's given us a body of Christ, of people, of brothers and sisters that we can look at who have gone there before us. Kids, you're about to go back to school. How are you supposed to follow Jesus in your public school? Well, thankfully, you have some examples of other people in the church who have done that faithfully. So you go to youth group, you spend time getting to them, you went to camp with them, all sorts of other stuff, so that you can learn from them what does it look like to follow Jesus at school. Parents, parenting is hard. All sorts of things. That we, uh, how are we supposed to know how to do this? I'm falling apart. I'm just barely holding it together as a parent. How do we handle this? How do we handle that? Thanks be to God that we've got one another and parents can go talk to other parents and observe how other parents are doing it. That's part of the joy of being a part of the body of Christ. 
retirement, retirement. It's easy to be tempted to just do whatever you want to do like the rest of the world does. This is your time to go out and get whatever you want and live the American dream. What if, though, we looked at other people in the church family who were retired and watched them and said, that's the kind of example that I want to follow. They don't set their minds on earthly things. They've got an idea of this citizenship being in heaven, and so they're living in a different way. How can I do that? Ask them. Spend time with them. Those of you that are single, Maybe some of you really enjoying that. Maybe some of you trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus and be single in this world today. Thankfully, there's other people in our church that are doing that. We've got some great young single people, some great older single people who are actively, passionately following Jesus. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Be in a life group with them. Those of you who are experiencing suffering now need some people who have already experienced suffering. We need some people to look to as examples. This is how you walk through suffering in a way that honors Jesus. And thanks be to God, we've got some people in our church that are great examples of that for us. So who are you with and where are you looking? If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of heaven. So we don't want to live like the rest of the world because we've been bought and, and brought into another kingdom. Are you hanging out with others who help keep your eyes on the prize, who is Jesus himself? If you're a Christian, let's love, encourage, and remind each other like Paul does. I love, I love and long for you. You're my joy and my crown. You're my brothers. You're my beloved. Let's talk to each other in more compassionate kinds of ways. I love you and long for you, my joy and my crown. 200 people is a lot of people to love in that way. You probably can't do it. That's how many people call our church home, like 219 of us. But women, men, students, life groups, youth groups, all Give us opportunities to get to know some people. A lot of stuff starting up here this fall. Hopefully you find ways to get engaged in community that you might love some people really well and look to people and together make a determination that we will stand firm in the Lord. And we do so pressing on, knowing, awaiting our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming again. We're going to sing about that here in a moment, but first let's pray. Father, we just want to respond to your word. I don't know what of that was most helpful. Maybe none of it. Maybe I said some things that I just shouldn't have said. Maybe I was an error. I pray that we'd quickly uh, forget those things or that I would be rebuked for them, but that instead, by the power of your spirit, you would help us to press on, to strain forward, to hold true to what we have attained, the, the fact that you have already made us your own. May that motivate and compel us, that, that, that gospel news, may that compel us to be people who willingly uh, stand firm, uh, who live differently than the world around us, and who go out on mission uh, for the sake of Jesus. God, thank you. Um, thank you that Jesus is coming again. Uh, uh, more and more, uh, and even just especially this week, I've longed for that more. Uh, help us all to long for that more, and I pray that you even use this song to help us uh, to long for that more as we await the return of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.